All right, what's good? It's Bench. It's Wednesday, May 22nd, and today we aren't going to talk about Overwatch. We're in the middle of a nice little break for Overwatch League. We've got Pacific and Atlantic showdowns fast approaching, but no Overwatch League for two more weeks. And I was debating whether or not to do anything this week in terms of content. It seems like everyone everywhere is just talking about Game of Thrones, so I said, why not? Let's get some people from the Overwatch community in here to talk about that. I'd never let them come on to shill for Chinese Overwatch, so of course I'm having them on for Game of Thrones talk. We've got Kenobi, Contenders Chinacaster, and Vowels, previously coach of Square One during Contenders this last season, doing some new stuff now as well that I see in a recent tweet maybe we'll hear about soon. What's up, gentlemen? Uh, not much. Oh, that's a big uh, yawn, Vowels, is it? <laughs> you just wake yeah. up? Uh, uh, no, I woke up just before scrims, and I've come straight out of scrims into this, but... Scrims? Eyes? 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 Eyes emoji. Who, who isn't scrimming nowadays? <laughs> Alright, let's get right into this. Uh, the Season 8, Episode 6, Game of Thrones finale was this last Sunday. Vowels, why don't you start? What did you think of the finale? I... <sighs> didn't hate the finale. There were parts of it I definitely didn't like, and the way they resolved some of the storylines, which I guess we can get into more detail later, I definitely hated. But especially compared to how the rest of the scene has gone, I actually came away from the final liking it, and I kind of like how they resolved a lot of the major storylines, if it, even if it did feel a bit rushed. How about you, Kenobi? Yeah, it was, for me, there were some, it was very... Uh, hit or miss and kind of what I liked and what I didn't like like cinematography wise I really liked a lot of the choices and music wise as well it all looks um very nice it's probably the best looking season and episode of Game of Thrones probably for a while but there are some things that just really just weren't the greatest there were some nice tie-ups with certain arcs but some story decisions kind of just came out of nowhere and really didn't make too much sense there was a lot of plot holes that obviously they had to rush with the fact that it was just um it was just six episodes and if they had much more time it probably would have been more fleshed out but oh boy there were some decisions that were made in this episode and throughout the season that weren't necessarily my favorite yeah i don't even know how i feel about it still i was saying before like i was pretty gone when i watched it the first time and (laughs) i watched it again yesterday just to kind of uh prepare for this and it's so difficult to separate it from what was just an atrocious season compared to the rest of the series and it's funny because like week to week when i would talk about it with you guys or anyone else who i knew was watching uh friends and family like you see so much complaining about it on twitter and i just i could tell that this was coming like you you saw the the threads laid last season they were just jumping around. The pace of everything was picking up significantly. It didn't. It felt like the show was veering away from the pacing that it had established in the earlier seasons. I just knew that they were going to awkwardly shoehorn in like weird closes to story arcs just to Melisandre getting shoehorned in for like a really really weird, just emerging from the forest ahead of the, yeah. the dead in that episode and her arc closing in one episode just to almost like tell Arya her destiny. I guess. And then I expected them to shoehorn Braun in, even though he really hadn't been doing too much like after the loot train fight last season. I didn't want to be like the typical naysayer who just complains and there's no nuance to the analysis of what I 
didn't like about it. So I held out. I didn't tweet anything about it. I want to give give the show an opportunity to actually to uh, to finish with the finale. But it was just compared to other seasons, I thought it was awful. Like relative to the the first five or six seasons, the final two seasons, like they weren't nearly as bad. I don't think as people are making them out to be. They were just different from the first six. I was saying before, Thrones at its worst is still really worthwhile television. But when you stack it up against the other, you know, five or six seasons, it just failed miserably to live up to that experience. And I think it's weird with like season seven, because season seven has a lot of like you were talking about it. Season seven has a lot of the same issues that season eight does with like pacing and story decisions and stuff like that. But I think we were all very forgiving of season seven for the most part, because we're like, all right, they're just doing this so that season eight's going to be good. Right. It's just all in the idea that season eight is just going to give us like this final payoff, right? This huge payoff that we've been waiting for, for the whole time. And if they have to, you know, make season seven kind of like a season where they just skip a few things just to make season eight that much better. That's what we were all kind of hoping for. But then it didn't end up being that season eight gives us, it gives us like that bat, you know, the battle, um, the battle at Winterfell, which is pretty visually stunning, but not if you really could see it. Yeah, <laughs> if you turn the brightness up on your TV enough, you can see it. But besides that, it's like it just it wasn't the huge payoff that we were all thinking for. It was kind of very um, it was all. Yeah, it was just very like just samey. It felt unrewarding to me. Yeah. And I feel like a big part of that is actually I'm, I'm glad you touched on the pacing earlier because I do think that was a big part of why people are so down on the last two seasons. One of the some of the best parts of the earlier seasons were those little scenes where it's just two characters chatting for a couple minutes, doesn't advance the story too much, but it's character development, gives you a little bit of change of pace as well. In fact, I think maybe one of my favorite scenes from the early seasons is actually a deleted scene where it's a conversation between Tywin and what's the name? The old Grey Maester Grandmaster, the guy who pretended Pycelle, that's the one. By the way, uh, there, you're probably if you're listening to this, we're probably going to run into a lot of oh, what's that guy's name? So bear with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have like ten years basically of stuff we need to remember. So. Right. Yeah, that old deleted scene from like season two or three between Tywin and Pycelle, where Pycelle reveals that he just pretends to be so frail and hunchback and whatever, so people don't realize what he's actually doing. And it's just little moments like that that we got in all the earlier seasons that just add that little bit of character development, that little bit of change in pacing that have been absent from the last two seasons. And I feel like we needed that, not just for the character development, but for the change of pace. So it's not every single scene has to advance the story. Every single scene needs to be epic. And that is a big part of why the last two seasons were suffered. Yeah, yeah I think that it's also a thing with character motivation too. Like I had a really difficult mm-hmm. time with characters like Jamie, who seemed to just... Yeah go like from black to white in a matter of five minutes i don't know if like brian was just really 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 terrible in bed where he's like yo i gotta get back to cersei asap (laughs) all right all right (laughs) but okay you're like i joke but at the same time it's literally the only how else can you explain take away that from that scene yeah there's a lot of characters i feel like they've really done dirty this season in terms of character development i feel like jamie was one of the biggest ones because it's not just like black to white it's completely undoing the last like four seasons of character development we've had for jamie where suddenly oh i love cersei i'm gonna go do what cersei does yeah and that was you were talking about what the the little moments in the earlier seasons i always point to the story arc of Arya and the hound trekking through the riverlands which lasted like multiple episodes and I always like in shows when you end up with these arcs when they're diverging from the kind of the main narrative and you have 
two or three or however many characters who don't normally feel like they have a place together or they there's no reason for them to share scenes and yet the writers figure out a way to kind of put them together and you get to see the way that they interact with one another and Arya and the Hound at that point in time in the series didn't seem like they made any sense together and yet it was probably one of the most rewarding arcs that we had and we learned so much about the characters just from you know they weren't fighting I there was a little battle I guess in there but just from the the like the exposition in, in those uh, those episodes we learned so much about those characters and those moments are what allow the characters to advance their individual plot lines further we understand exactly why they make the decisions that they do in future episodes and this season was just lacking that in spades it, it was so difficult to understand why why Danny or Danny had this I don't even know if you can call it like a change of heart. It's just like a complete flip-flop of her yeah. character. We couldn't understand her motivation. Yep. Yep. Same thing with with um uh, with Jamie. Jamie. It felt yeah. to me like the only characters that really were paid off in any way whatsoever this season were, were Tyrion and Arya. It felt yeah. like the conversations that they had, the their dialogue, the decisions that they made was at least rooted in who their character was evolving the character that had evolved over the course of whatever eight seasons and i don't know if there were any other characters maybe sansa to an extent but at the same time it felt like she was almost expunged from a lot of this season she was just always angry and annoyed at at daenerys and i don't think that her character it felt like she was at least consistent but there was no character evolution with her this season yeah and i think funnily enough when you mention you know sandor and um Sandor and Arya, I think that's probably one of the best scenes of like the last two episodes is the scene where, you know, Arya and Clegane, they go into the Red Keep and it's like everything's falling around them. And then they have that really nice moment between the two of them, which I think is a very nice payoff to all of that shit that we had with them and, you know, um, with them in the first couple of seasons, you know, when that was just them riding through the Riverlands and stuff like that. I think that was a nice payoff to their arc together. So yeah. I think I think and, and we got Clegane Bowl. So I think Clegane, Sandor Clegane had a pretty, pretty, pretty decent end to his kind of arc. He, you know, Arya calls him Sandor for the first time ever. And they kind of humanize, um, humanize each other, which I think is really nice. And that's one of the probably better aspects of the entire um, last couple of episodes was that scene between those two. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you touched on Clegane Bowl as well, because that's kind of one of the examples of one of the things they did actually do right in the finale. Because Clegane Bowl has been such a meme. It's been so hyped up over the years that there was always going to be some form of Clegane Bowl. That was the entire point yeah. of the Hound's Ark. But and the actual epic battle everyone was gagging for, that wouldn't have fit. That would have been there just so they have an epic battle and it wouldn't have felt right. I think the way that they resolved Sand the Clegane Ark for both of them is probably the best way they could have done it. And I did feel like that was a good payoff in the end for Sandor. I don't know if this was the case, and I really hope that it isn't. Did either of you guys feel like there was a deliberate means from the writers to try and... It was like they deliberately tried to weasel their way out of having to pay off any of the... You know, how Cersei was going to die. how Who was yeah. going to be on the yeah. throne. It's like they took... Not only did they not pay those off, but it's like they took the path of most resistance and I don't know if they're patting themselves on the back like, oh, we show them, no one predicted this. It's like, that's not how it should work. I don't think paying it off where you're just going to end up confirming 
you know, the predictions of what the, the fan base was going to be. I don't think that's a bad way to end a series. It might have been predictable, mm-hmm, yeah. but it's in terms of telling a story. Yeah, it's a good yeah, way. Yeah, you want to end it in a fitting way. Look at us. We had we had unpredictable endings. We're such great writers. We subverted traditional TV narratives. <laughs> yeah, we we subverted your expectations, audience. Take that. Yeah, I think I think there were, there were some cases like Game Ball where they did kind of subvert what people were expecting, and it paid off really well. But yeah. again, how Cersei died in that whole end of Jamie's arc, I feel like not only was it really bad in terms of developing Jamie's arc and Cersei's to an extent as well. But with all these theories like about how Cersei's going to die with the whole little brother prophecy that yeah. they actually hyped up quite a bit back in earlier seasons, that felt like a really way, a really bad way to subvert well, that. They actually didn't. So I think this was something, it, it was weird how this happened. I think the, what's it called? Uh, Val, is it Valonqar prophecy? Valonqar. 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 I, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. The little brother part was yeah. only in the books. It was the other half of the prophecy that was TV show. Yeah, okay, but that's the my thing bad. was it still would have been nice like throw a nod to the the readers of the books who knew about that it felt like it mm-hmm. almost became canon that that was going to ha- that was going to be how it ended even though the valonqar prophecy for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about in uh season five i think it was there's a flashback scene for for cersei when she's younger and her and one of her friends are running through the forest and they they stumble into this i don't even know like a gypsy tent and there's a person in it, her name's Maggie the Frog, and she's like a seer or a soothsayer, and she reads or tells Cersei like three prophecies. One of them was the one about her, you know, what would happen with her children. It was something along the lines of like gold were their crowns and gold were their shrouds, implying that they were going to die and she was going to witness their death before her own. And then mm-hmm. the, the show cut off from the third prophecy, but in the books there's something called the Valonqar prophecy, and it's apparently talking about how Valonqar, I think it, it's like High Valyrian or something, and it translates to younger brother. And the yep. soothsayers told Cersei that she was going to die at the hands of, you know, her younger brother. Their hands were going to be wrapped around her throat. And Jamie, even though I think they're twins, Jamie's still, they said, younger. And Tyrion, obviously, is younger too. There was some speculation, you know, maybe one of them would, would uh, bring an end to Cersei. Maybe it would be there was a lot of speculation that maybe Jamie would die and Arya would take his face and Arya would be the one and that would kill yeah. two birds with one stone with taking Cersei off her kill list, which by the way was kind of weird that that was such a huge narrative point too. I don't mean to stray from what we're talking about, but like the mountain <laughs> and Cersei, it felt like Arya was going to be the one that ended that and again, like it's not terrible to give the viewers, even if it seems like it's the obvious thing. One of the reasons the viewers predict it this way is because they know that you're trying to subvert traditional like tropes and storytelling, things like that. And a lot of the things that the fans predict are things that probably wouldn't happen in a a normal show. So just because they predict them and think that that's what's going to happen doesn't mean you have to stray from that and give us these ridiculous storylines and pat yourselves on the back and say, oh, we tricked them. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's talk about uh, I told you guys one of the things I wanted to bring up was some characters or mysteries or storylines or narratives that were introduced in earlier seasons. And whether if it was just a guilty pleasure, something you were hoping for would be brought back or resolved. Who were the characters or the, you know, the storylines? What were the storylines that you guys were hoping would be resolved over the course of like the last two seasons or this season that ultimately there was no payoff for? For me, the, one of the things like the White Walkers were really there was a lot about them that we 
like saw like the baby thing where like they, they you know they transformed the babies into i think white walkers and like white knights and stuff like that um there was a lot of that stuff that we just didn't ever get to figure out right and maybe it is because of time but for an enemy that we thought was going to be the big bad enemy it kind of ended a little bit on a whimper right where it's just like aria just kills the night king right which is fine in the sense that i think I think if they really wanted to subvert expectations and have them do it that way, I think they Arya is probably the best choice for that. But the entire season up to that point had been building up kind of Danny and John as being the two people that were going to be able to fight the, you know, going to fight the Night King and beat the beat the White Walkers and all that stuff in the undead and they did nothing. They really didn't do anything in that battle of Winterfell. John yelled at a dragon. And that was pretty much it. There was really nothing that they did. So a lot of like the kind of mystical stuff about the White Walkers that I wish we would have learned, which we would, I wish we would have had time to learn about that stuff, because I think they kind of came in for that one battle and that was the end of their story. And there was a lot of cool things I think you could have done with them if you had more time. Going on like uh, mysteries that I wanted solved or explained or characters brought back, I thought Bran's warging abilities and how he would fit into okay. the series Endgame was going to be explained a lot more. Yeah. And I thought we were going to get that in that episode when they showed the scene of him warging into the the Ravens. And the, was it Ravens? Yeah, the Ravens then flew away. And I thought, okay, we're going to get some kind of flashback here, uh, something that's going to explain whether he's going back to change the past or whether he's using the Ravens to see the future. And he knows that Arya's, like, th- these events need to unfold and he needs, you know, a, B, and C need to happen in order for Arya to have the opportunity to do this. And that was just never paid off. And we spent so much time with him in past seasons. We still don't understand, like, what was happening in that scene, what the purpose, like, at least explain why Theon was there protecting him. What the hell was he doing oh, yeah. in that moment? Or what Bran was doing. Like, Bran just spent the entire episode warged into Ravens and just doing other shit. Like, he, we don't see him at all. And then he comes back right as the Night King's there. And it's like, it's like okay, well, he, he hasn't helped in any single way. Yeah. What do you think, Vals? I think related to the whole, all that time we spent with Bran and then no payoff, I feel like Mira Reed had a really unsatisfying ending to her arc as well, because... She went through all that sacrifice with Bran as well, went on the epic adventure, lost her brother, and then they come back and Bran is no one and she just goes home sad. It was such a weird goodbye for her in season seven too. It yeah. was like such yeah. an awkward, like, okay. It was almost like the ghost thing from this season with, with John. And- yeah, <laughs> I feel like the scene was set up for her to return and come save yeah. Bran in the Battle of Winterfell, but we just never heard from her yep, again. I feel like that was really badly done as well. Yeah. I think that there were probably a lot of plot points and beats changed between mm-hmm. seven season seven and season season eight because oh yeah definitely there yeah. was so much inconsistency there. Um, I don't know where I want to take this because that can actually bridge to another point. I just want to throw out a couple other names quick. Uh, so Quaith, do you guys remember who she was? Oh, Quaith, oh yeah, yeah, Quaith from Ashai, yeah. like all the way back in in uh, Karth, right? Yeah, in Karth. Mm-hmm. So if anyone doesn't remember Quaith, Quaith was the, I think it's called a shadow binder. Yeah. Who Danny and Jorah ran into when they were in Essos and, and in Karth. And she said, I can't remember what the quote was, but it was something along the lines of, you need to be more protective of the mother of dragons. There was that guy, Piat Pri, who uh-huh. was like a multiplier. He can project himself in other places and he tricked Danny into bringing her dragons and and basically giving handing them over to him. No, it was 
It wasn't tricked. It was uh, they broke into the estate while Danny was out and stole the dragons. Oh, that's right. And then she went after and that, yeah, and then to she, try yeah. and reclaim them, right? Yeah. The way that the episode was done, they made her, the mysticism around Quaith made it seem like she was someone who was always watching and was aware of, she always had her eyes on Danny and Jorah. And I knew come season eight, once it got to season eight, it was just so much of a small role that I never imagined her to be brought yeah. back. But when they did say that Melisandre was going back to Essos, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if, if somehow Quaithe comes back? But it was such a minor role. Um, I was almost certain that they'd never pay that off. And then the only other, there was, do you guys remember the Comet back in season two? Yes. There was this scene, there was an episode really where multiple people had seen a Comet pass overhead. Yeah. And there was some theories about whether that was like a metaphor for relationship that Prophecy had with the characters in the show. It looks like it was just a red herring. Okay, I'm also really glad that you touched on the comment because that ties into a huge unresolved storyline I wanted to touch on. Who was the prince that was promised? Oh, Who was Azor? I think Azor they Hai? just they just forgot. <laughs> yeah, that just that was a huge thing, not only through the series but in season seven in particular, talking about the prince yeah. who was promised is all high, going to save us all from the dark, and then that just wasn't touched at all in season eight. Yeah, I mean, everyone was thinking it was going to be you know John. John is going to be Azor Ahai. Yeah, it's not even like we found out it was or wasn't yeah. on. It was just never mentioned this entire season. Speaking of John, why didn't? What was the issue with John becoming king after he killed Danny? What was the issue? Oh, uh, the Unsullied would have been refused pissed. It. Yeah, uh, someone did mention it at that meeting, and the Unsullied said, "No, he's a, John is not going to be king. He's our prisoner. He does, we yeah. need justice for what he did to Danny." The Dothraki probably wouldn't care because the I, I, I'm pretty sure with the Dothraki, it's whoever kills the previous call becomes the next one. So if technically for their traditions, it'd be like, oh, well, Danny's dead. John killed her. John, you're our king now, which was I was assuming what would happen. But then the Unsullied are there and the Unsullied are much more of a powerhouse at the moment. I also find it, I find it a bit interesting, kind of touching on the Unsullied on a similar note is... A big part of season eight was talking about how Unsullied were no mercy. We do what Danny says. We do everything for Danny. Take no prisoners, kill everyone. And then suddenly, when someone literally kills Danny, they just conveniently take him as a prisoner. And then Grey Worm brings Tyrion out to the council. And <laughs> this is the best. This is the funniest scene in like the entire like episode. He just lets so Tyrion advise what the realm should do. And then he asks all of the the heads of the different kingdoms what their decision is. It's like, if you're supposed to be menacing <laughs> here and you have this prisoner who literally committed treason and helped push John essentially towards killing your queen, uh -huh. you're treating him in a, in a very diplomatic way. It was such an odd scene. Doesn't he like say you're not allowed to speak and then Tyrion speaks for like 10 minutes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess what I'm talking about, like, I understood why John couldn't become king based on the plot points that they hit at that time. What I'm saying is, as the heads of the kingdom, the majority of you all voted for him to be the king of the north, right? And then a lot of you wanted Danny's head on a platter when you saw how crazy she was becoming. And John literally goes and does what you asked him to do, to lead your kingdoms and he ends up bringing about the end of the greatest threat to all of your existence, and the way you repay him is send him to the Night's Watch? Yeah. 
how is Sansa not Sansa's kind of a bitch here. Like she went and <laughs> leaked all this shit about what John had said. And then when John really actually needs this stuff leaked, she just keeps her mouth quiet. Like all she had to say was, Oh yeah, by the way, all you other people here who don't know yet. Yeah. John's actually a Targaryen and he's supposed to be King. How do you not drop that? J- John basically gets a free vacation to, to the, to the wall and just gets to go live with the wildlings. Like nothing bad happens to him. Which speaking of that, I feel like the show did, or maybe it's me. I had to have someone explain to me what was actually happening with John there. I didn't realize that he was just abandoning his watch. Did I miss something? Oh, was he? I thought he, I, th- I mean, what is the nice watch going to do now? Like, well, I, th- I think that's the, so I saw a couple people mention this on, on Twitter. And I don't know if anyone knows who Jason Concepcion is. He's network on Twitter. He works at the ringer, huge game of Thrones fan. He just spoke about it. Like it was very common knowledge that, when John was brought back from death by Melisandre, that he said, my watch has ended, I can never be, but wear the Dawn of the Black again, yeah. yeah. And you were supposed to, I guess, take that in line with him leaving Castle Black and them closing, he looks back and sees the, the door shut, and it's supposed to imply that he's now just departing his watch and he's going to go live with the Wildlings in the same way that, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Benjen Stark? Mm-hmm sort of like along those lines like he's just going to be nomadic and he's i didn't tie it back that way to what you're saying about when his watch ended previously but i did think that that was quite obviously what was happening there that yeah, it just goes he does he doesn't feel at home anywhere in restaurants or with night's watch so he's going to go live with the wildling i can't remember the exact quote but i'm sure Tormund actually alluded to it earlier this season yeah. where he was saying about you belong up north i felt like that was quite obvious how they were resolved when he goes north and that actually happens, I felt that it was quite obvious that, okay, he's just going to go join the Wildlings because that's where he feels at most home from what from the options he's got left. Any pet ghost? Probably the best part of the finale, right? Or maybe the best part of the last season? No, yeah, it's, no it, it's not the best part of the last season because the fact that they had to do that means they had the really terrible scene with Ghost earlier this season. It, it doesn't make up for it. How about the fact, do we know what the passage of time was between the Battle of Winterfell and when Jon ends up at the Wall? How the hell has no one tried to give first aid to Ghost's ear that had been gnawed (laughs) off in the battle? That thing is still pussing blood in the finale. How has no one treated that? You mean to tell me that that dog has been there all that time and no one has, like, tried to sterilize that thing? They said it's been weeks. So, like, after after Danny dies, they, like, when Tyrion comes out, they say it's been, like, weeks since he's been in jail just waiting there and sitting. So it's been quite a bit of time... Bench, Probably you, since Ghost's ears. Bench, are, you, are you telling me that you seriously expect consistent passage of time in Game of Thrones? Bench, there was a water bottle in the last episode twice. Like they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. Let's actually talk about that—the passage of time, because I think that that's. It seems like it's ancillary, but in this per, in this show in particular, I thought that it was at the heart of the most problematic parts of the last two seasons especially this season. We were talking about earlier how they would set aside, like you, you'd have, so like in season three, the entire season story arc for Rob Stark is him trying to cross a bridge. And obviously the, you know, there's some war. We, we really don't ever see any of the warring going on at that time, but it, it's a lot of just exposition with 
Rob and his mother and his wife and the Lannister prisoners that they have and Jamie. And it's all about him trying to cross a bridge, which obviously culminates in the Red Wedding. But the, one of the reasons that the Red Wedding works the way it does and has the, the emotion that you feel at the end of it is because we spent so much time building up to that with the characters who end up dying in that episode. In season, is it set or no, season eight, you have, again, we already touched on this, just how quickly they move from, from place to place. You don't get any of the motivation, any of like the character building. You don't understand why they make the decisions that they do. But it also just screws with your head when you're trying to, there's important scenes happening and you're still trying to figure out how we got here. Like, for example, in what's, which is the episode? Is it episode four of the last season when they end up, when Rhaegar the dragon goes down? Or Rhaegal? Rhaegar? Rhaegal? One of those uh, two? Uh, yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, it was season four. Episode four. Season, episode yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had them leaving Winterfell, which... I don't know if you want to pull up a map on Google right now, but Winterfell is not really close <laughs> to far. to King's Landing, and it's not close to Dragonstone. I think it's about I think it's about equal because Dragonstone is really not far from King's Landing. I don't know. Okay. So in one episode, we had them make the trek. Large Regiment makes the trek from Winterfell to is it Dragonstone, and that's where they get intercepted, and then they end up five minutes later at King's Landing. Because they show the scene, the, the scene for King's Landing on the ramparts or the partition of the city, the city wall. They show it's oh. established with Cersei up there. And I'm thinking, what is she doing up there? Two seconds ago, we just had Tyrion and Varys <laughs> washed up on Almost shore. Almost die. <laughs> yeah. And two seconds later, they're now wa- like marching with a phalanx or a regiment of soldiers into the or in front of the city. And two seconds before that, Rhaegal gets killed. <laughs> And there's like no reaction. And when he gets killed too, I love that scene. Again, another tangent, but I'm not, I'm like always about suspending disbelief if at least in the in-world that a show creates, that they establish like a set of rules and, and things like that. And I don't know if you remember back in the loot train battle last year when it was the Tarleys and the Lannisters against the Dothraki and the Unsullied and Danny. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, the loot train. It felt like there was this really, they they made it a point because that's when they were testing out Kyburn's Kyburn's uh, scorpion cannon for the first time, mm-hmm. and they made it a point to show just how much manpower and effort it took to load one of those crossbow bolts onto that thing, and then how much strength it required to crank that thing and fire it, and it was so much time in between bolts, like they would miss a bolt, and the look on their face is like, oh shit. We just missed that one. It's going to take four weeks before we can get another <laughs> shot off. And then they just throw all that away for that sea battle with, if you can even call it a battle. And yeah. you're on like 360 no scopes behind this cliff <laughs> and hits the dragon in the head. And then like nine other bolts come through and, and most of them hit him. And then without any delay, another volley and another volley. And these things just keep coming in and destroying the ships. It's like it's taking no time. And there weren't that many ships in, in Euron's fleet at that point. I can't, I think someone went and counted it. It was maybe like 10 or 12, but it looked like those scorpions were mounted and that they weren't rotating. And Danny just beelines towards them, like dekes them all, makes like this right angle and goes pet. Like, why do you not approach them and just burn the hell out of them from the back? She just runs away. And then the next episode, after they've already established <laughs> how prolific Euron and these, these scorpion cannoners are, 
<laughs> she takes on a fleet that's like 90 times the size of the one that that just did in one of her dragons plus scorpions mounted on the like the city walls and it's like the second she put on those those black robes there was like a pla- a passive trait on them where it's like <laughs> dragon can now barrel roll and avoid crossbow bolts and she just incinerates everything it's like why the hell didn't you just do that last episode yeah it was like it was so frustrating to like watch you get you watch Rhaegal and like George R.R. Martin has said like um that dragons are basically incredibly hard to hit with like anything they're almost um they're almost like invincible and you then you watch Rhaegal get three tapped like right away every single bolt hits him and then the next episode they can't hit anything for shit like and there's more of them and you're just shooting one dragon this time and it's like well what do you it's like oh sure Rhaegal might have been injured i guess if you want to try and put that caveat up that's not fair like danny literally didn't get hit once and all those scorpions died immediately and you can't have it where a dragon gets completely shredded by scorpions in the first episode and then the next episode they just all miss like they just turn the auto aim off it's yeah what do you think that yeah that was um i feel like that scene was largely give danny a reason to be angry kill him a sunday to tie up that end make your one look cool and then as soon as they need it to go the other way they just do yeah. there's no logic behind it it's just whatever they whatever they decide to do to advance the plot point they've decided rather than <laughs> what actually makes sense. And then there was the whole golden companies, a sham, like oh, worst, yeah. like off season acquisition they, they like, in history. <laughs> they like spent so much time talking them up, like the elephants and the fact that Cersei's just borrowing so much money from the iron bank to try and get this army. And then it just does nothing. Yeah. The, <laughs> the golden company is the perfect metaphor for like all of the the storyline decisions and beats that they hit <laughs> in season seven that they just were never <laughs> and also they stressed the amount of money they had to yeah. borrow for the iron bank to pay for the golden company and build all those scorpion bolts on the vampires and everything and then as soon as cersei said oh we have no debt yep. does that carry over for the u.s could we take out that policy <laughs> um let's talk about the place in like the television pantheon of like the great shows and what um, the record that Game of Thrones will have going forward, how we'll talk about it in the future. I know that people will look at the immediate reaction or the recency bias, Monday morning quarterback, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be how this show failed to end on a high note. And I think that's fair. I don't know how to rectify like or compartmental, like, do we compartmentalize it? Do you say, well, 75% of the show is fantastic, you know, grade A television, the peak, the last semblance of monoculture that we have. Um, mm-hmm. How do you merge those two together? And, and how do you talk about Game of Thrones in like, let's say five years, 10 years? Was it a great show? Was it a great show for six seasons and just a shit show for the last two? Like, what do you guys think about how that is going to age in the future? Uh, I'm, I think when you talk about because it's been basically a decade, right, that we've had this show running. Um, it's been it's been going for a very long time, and I don't know if we're ever gonna have something like Game of Thrones ever again, where it just runs for this long and it's a it's a pop culture phenomenon. It's you know something that's never gonna it's it's gonna be very hard to replicate. It's kind of like the Avengers, right, in this ten sense where it's like you have something that's so big and that almost everyone around the world is kind of you know, watching at the same time and experiencing at the same time, 
But in terms of the quality of the show, I think if you were to tell someone to say, you know, it might be, it might get to a point where you say, um, that, you know, watch the first six seasons. And then if you want, if you, if you want to keep watching after that, just know that it's going to not be the same because I think it's very clear that like after season six, it feels different. It just doesn't feel like the, the first six seasons. And it's obviously because they have to go, you know, on their own. The writers don't have George R. R. Martin with them, but the first six seasons, I think, are pro- is probably there's a lot of really great television in there. And if you say to someone, well, what's the good parts about season eight and season seven? I think the cinematography and the music are probably the two best things that are that it has over over one through six, because I think the cinematography say whatever you want about season eight and how story wise it was bad. The cinematography was really good for there's some really nice shots, like in the last episode, the scene with um, Danny coming out and the dragon wings unfurling behind her like that shot's really cool and like yeah in the battle of winterfell where um melisandre is trying to light the um like the trenches and then the fire just comes up and you see your face and you see your fi- like the fire in her eyes literally like that there's some really nice shots and really well done um cinematography coming out from the ending two seasons but story-wise it doesn't help anything. And you can say, if you want to look at it from like a cinematic Marvel, then you can say, okay, yeah, these are fine. You can watch, but like story-wise, it's just not going to be as good as the first couple of first six. I think it's still, still definitely going to be remembered as one of the greatest TV shows, at least of this decade. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are many shows that have had the same influence and being the same phenomenon that Game of Thrones has with everyone obsessing over it. But I, I think it's def- also going to be remembered as one of the greatest shows of this decade in terms of cinematography and music because of some of these amazing scenes they've orchestrated not just this season but throughout all the seasons and a lot of the battles as well when you can actually see them <laughs> they've they i think they've done a really good job of orchestrating some huge chaotic battles but i think it's going to be remembered kind of bittersweet as it could have ended so much better the show had so much potential from the first six seasons and it it doesn't capitalize on, on such it. It was such a flat ending to the show, and I feel like that's going to be how it's remembered. A great show could have ended better. And there's a lot of those. There's shows that I think, like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched The Sopranos. That's a yeah. show where it was, you know, hailed as one of the greatest shows of all time. A lot of people at the time that it came out. It ends super ambiguous. Yeah, I think as we've gone on, it's, it's aged better, and people appreciate it a little bit more. I think that Mad Men is a show that, it took me about three times as long to watch <laughs> Mad Men as anything else because it's just one of those shows that puts you to sleep. Like, it was so hard to stay awake watching some of those episodes. It was a fantastic show. I don't know about the ending for that one. Uh, what are some other ones? The Wire, I thought, was a really well-done show and consistent. I hear Dexter is a really bad one from, like, all the Twitter, like, memes it spins. Like, all the Twitter memes are like, hey, Game of Thrones fans, it's okay. Join us in the Dexter uh, ending hell that we're in right now because apparently that one was really bad, too. Like the shows with the probably the three best endings I've that I've watched have been The Shield, Friday Night Lights. I thought Friday Night Lights series finale was maybe the greatest season finale ever done. Maybe it's not the greatest television series of all time. It had some problems with like the second season. It was actually huge problems. But payoff of the last like the way that they closed all the different character arcs felt so natural, and it wasn't like. It was like they allotted the time so well to make sure that it didn't feel rushed at the end the way Game of Thrones did where they were just racing to try and close off all the different plot points. And then, I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, but Justified was a show that had like a fantastic final season 
recovered from a sort of down fifth season. But over the course of that show, it was such a consistent show. It was never like peak television. It wasn't anywhere close to Game of Thrones or something like Breaking Bad. But it was just expertly done, great character acting, incredible writing, and really landed on a a great end note. Thrones, for me, like, I'm going to have a hard time going back and watching it, not going to lie. Because as... So, like, before season seven started, I actually did a rewatch and rewatched everything and, and came away just thinking, like, this is incredible. There's no way that they can screw this up. And now, if I ever go back and watch it, I'm going to have a really difficult time watching scenes with, like, Bran or even watching some <laughs> stuff with Danny because it's, like, they never made him out. To, like, he, he was never, like, an extremely commanding presence on screen. What uh, Isaac Hempstead White, I think his name was. He wasn't fantastic uh-huh. in that role. It was probably a blessing that they sapped his emotional quality from him like halfway through when he became the Three-Eyed Raven. He was never like that commanding presence on screen, but it's still, he felt important and it felt like you needed to pay attention because... He's going to do something big. Yes. And now knowing that he does nothing except sort of just stumbles into becoming like the, the king of of Westeros I'm not going to be interested in watching his stuff in the same way that I did the first time I went through and same thing with Danny Danny was arguably the most interesting character on the show her story arc the way it evolved it was they hit all the right beats they you know being the liberator breaker of chains and everything unlike I, I feel like Danny even though you actually watch someone like Arya or, or Sansa like physically grow up in that show Danny is someone who it felt like she experienced the most growth and you went through the most with her character. You spent so much time, invested so much time watching her story arc and the way they just stripped her POV from the last season. Going back now and watching all of the brilliant writing that went into her story in Essos for those first six and a half seasons or six seasons, it's going to be so difficult to now on a rewatch appreciate that knowing that she's just a nobody at the end of the line. I do think that it's not, it wasn't completely unreasonable that Danny's arc would end the way it is. She did always tend a little bit towards violence in that regard to achieve her means. But I think Danny is a great example of how much they rushed the last two seasons. Yeah. If they'd given the same de- de- kind of development to her descent into madness and using power as a clutch to achieve her vision as they did the whole six seasons of her actually learning and growing up. I feel like it could have been a much more satisfying ending, but I do think that's a great example of how we had this huge, great arc of Danny developing and growing up and yeah. learning about the world and working towards her destiny. And then it was really unsatisfying how they rushed into the descent into madness yeah. at the end. I feel like it would have been so much. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just saying, I think that's a great example of how rushed the last two seasons are compared to the first six, where we don't get that character development. It's all just, you don't get the, yeah, you don't get a character development, you just get the end for all the characters. And it feels like, you know, when you think about it, you're left with these characters thinking, oh, what if they could have done it this way? Which is something I don't think you should ever feel for a character. At, like, the end, if you, like, if you think it's empty, kind of. Like, with Clegane, you feel like that arc is pre- ended pretty well. Theon, pretty much the same way. His arc ends pretty well. Melisandre, I guess, for the episode that she had, kind of does good. But like for Danny, it was like it would have been so much cooler to see her do that slow descent into Mantis. You know, Jorah is dead. Masande is dead. Uh, Rhaegal is dead. She has one dragon left, and then 
uh, this like slow descent into you know she doesn't trust John, she doesn't trust Tyrion, but no, she kind of just flips like right away and makes this like and makes this face uh, when she hears the bells and then just murders hundreds of thousands of people. And let's not forget that this is someone who has always been protective of the innocent, protective of like slaves, protectors of protector of people who are less fortunate. And that was kind of her entire mantra was like, I'm going to help. I'm going to break the wheel so that the people less fortunate than me um, don't have to always be in this kind of position. And yet she murders probably more people than anyone besides the White Walkers in the entire series. Tywin never did anything like this. And Joffrey, like all the bad people that we think is bad guys, have never done this kind of um, destruction before. So it's kind of a really downer that she just turns this quickly and does something so horrendously bad. And it's so bad seeing her them trying to achieve what they did with Cersei over six seasons in a matter of like two episodes with Danny. The way this, whenever you have television shows that have like big bads, whether it's a big bad for a season or over the course of an entire series, you if it's someone who you're developing over the course of an entire series, it's imp- I feel like it's important that you need to show not just that they're a monster, but what the buildup of what actually made them become a monster. And it's sort of like the same way that they show like the vigilante hero, like even though they're maybe doing something terrible, you at least understand the the motivation behind what they're doing. And it becomes like a very popular character archetype in television series now with Danny. I mean, it says enough about Cersei where you just completely neuter her to the point where she's so menacing and maybe the scariest actual character, more scary than the Night King it, it through the, like the first six seasons. And then you just sort of restrict her to this tower where she's like the crazy old woman who just kind of peeks out of her blinds every once in a while and thinks that the mailman's trying to like put a pipe bomb in her mailbox or something. Like she does nothing over really like the last two seasons except meet for for like one um one summit when they brought the white back, which I don't know, that's another ridiculous thing. Yeah. But how do you try and justify making Dan like did they sit down in the writer's room before the season and they're like okay so third episode's going to be Winterfell and then we have two and a half episodes to make everybody convince everybody that Danny's the most dangerous and sinister person in the world and even more so than Cersei like how did that how did that ever come to fruition it just it felt to me like Cersei deserved to be the big bad and if it was decided early on that it was going to be Danny they needed to start her downfall much earlier. Really. I think, like, even just changing this la- last season into two and having one just focusing on the White Walkers, where you start hinting at that Danny's going a bit big bad, but isn't quite there yet, and then one season where you defeat, where you spend all the time defeating Cersei, and then Danny's actually the big bad as well. Yeah, that could have been much better. But again, it just comes down to how much they've rushed these last two seasons. And also, just a note on Cersei, I've got to give credit to Lena Headley, her actress. Imagine yeah. to get paid so much to spend two seasons just staring out a window <laughs> drinking wine. That's the life. Also, with like, I was just gonna say, that's a really good point. With Cersei, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, she didn't, she just, like, for the last, like, couple episodes, she just, and then she got, you know, she got bricks fell on her. Which, like, also, by the way, when Tyrion goes down there, it doesn't look very, like, terrible. They could have moved, like, to the left or some shit. They were not, it didn't look like it was gonna, it didn't look like there was so much rocks there that they couldn't have moved at all like it looked pretty barren compared to like how we were meant to believe it looked where they just got crushed completely like it looked like there was some passages out of there where rocks <laughs> I totally falling. agree i think what they probably had to do was okay so 
and this is just one of those things like the suspension of disbelief. It's probably not that important in the grand scheme of things. Like how did Tyrion know where they'd be and how did he find the one rubble pile that had them? And you have to think that the writers are thinking, well, maybe we have Jamie's hands sticking out and then it becomes, okay, so we have to make sure that there's not that much rubble on them where they wouldn't be buried and Tyrion would never find them. Yeah, on that on that one where Tyrion knew where to be, Tyrion literally told him where to go because he went down that passage before to escape. So that's the I think that's one thing you kind of give him credit. Tyrion oh, knew he, where to look. When, did he say that to Jamie when they were in the tent or something? Yeah, when he released Jamie, he said, "Go down this tunnel, follow this passage to the boat waiting for you." Jamie went exactly where Tyrion told him to. But still, like I, I'm, I'm led to believe that these guys yeah, were buried alive. The fact, yeah, the fact that doesn't look very it was alive. A, I didn't really notice at the time, but yeah, the fact that it was a bit empty and if he found Jamie so conveniently, sure, but he didn't know where to look. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, again, the suspension of disbelief thing is just, again, with like the decision making that they made, some of this stuff was just weird. And it's like, you know, Grey Worm's going to Noth. Okay, Noth, they're all going to die in Noth. Like, <laughs> Noth is one of the worst places for, like, um, for people to go. And I know it's the home of Sande, but it's kind of an uninteresting no. end for. No, Narf, Narf gets raided all the time. People go there all the time to raid it. They're going to Narf to protect it. That was oh, the whole it? point of Grey Worm's okay. arc. Because I thought like Narf was like a really toxic place with like beasts and like. So Narf is competitive okay. ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Not okay. So Narf does get explained a bit more in the books. The place where Masandi comes from. I think it is actually mentioned by Masandi in earlier season when she first. Yeah. Well, Danny, they but... say that, like her. They say like we we should go to Narf after it's yeah. all over. It it's a it's a beautiful tropical island where it's in in the Summer Isles. I think it's called. But basically, mm. the inhabitants of Narf are non-violent. They don't believe in violence, so it gets raided all the time. And that's how Masande got captured as a slave because it, it got raided and she got captured as a okay. child. So they're going to Narf. The whole point is the Unsullied have nothing left to do in Westeros because there's no Danny, so they're going to go to Narf to protect it from raiders in Masande's honor. Okay, gotcha. Vowels on Narf. Um, we can probably wrap it up here. Do you guys have anything else? Any other thoughts? Maybe pass over on the the um, outline for what we we're going to talk about today. Anything you want to bring up about the series? I mean, John Pet Ghost. That's that's really all you need to say. It's the ending we deserved. We, we finally got it. Yeah, we finally got I, it. I think. I think we can agree in the end. The only person who truly won the Game of Thrones was Bronn. Oh yeah, Bron- he's fu- yeah, he's, yeah. he's he gets to be he gets to be Lord yeah, Bron- of the Riverland. Bronn, the sellsword scumbag who just screws everyone over, gets exactly what he wants. This actually okay. Now that you just brought up Bronn, we're going off on one other quick tangent. Was I the only one? Yeah. I think I talked to one of you two about this, but did you guys feel like there was this weird sort of like wink, wink? meta conversation breaking the fourth wall thing going on in the finale where and and you can't you have to remember too when these were filmed right these things maybe they could have been edited in at a later date i don't know how that works from a production side of things but it's almost like benioff and weiss even though they played it off like they were so confident there's that really funny uh clip of them talking about how you're going to be talking about whether this is a a or a plus so a or a plus and yet they still managed to fit this dialogue in the last episode with, I'm trying to remember, there were like a couple points where the Tyrion thing talking about how the there was like a compromise. Do you remember that? he was? Ta- I think he was telling John that something about a compromise and it was like they were talking about what happened with having to fit all this stuff oh, into six yeah. episodes. Then there was the 
him telling the thing about how Bran has the best story, which, I mean, another aside, Bran had literally the worst story. Like, you <laughs> couldn't have picked a person with a more awful story over the course of the last season to give this to if that's your justification for awarding him the kingship. But also him saying that, or no, it was it was Sam talking about, like, the democracy joke, saying that we should give everybody a vote, and then them all, like, wink, wink, kind of laughing. I don't know if that was supposed to be, yeah. like, a... That annoyed me. I mean, for sure, for sure, like, for sure, there was a lot of fourth wall breaking, like, like the story thing is like when Tyrion is talking about like stories is what keeps us like brings us together. That's a hundred and like good stories. And that's a hundred percent like D&D just patting themselves on the back as best they can. Like, yeah, we did such a good job. It's a hundred percent all that is. And then another fourth, (laughs) the worst, I think the worst fourth wall breaking thing is when um sam brings the book called a song of ice and fire and i just like at that point i'm like all right we're, we're well, I, I felt i this. felt like that was kind of obvious i felt like at some point there was going so the way i thought it viewed it was it was going to be the ending was going to be Tyrion revealing Tyrion explaining the story to people in like 30 years or something but i felt like having some kind of ending where it's a story called the song of ice and fire i felt like that was always kind of obviously happening yeah it was gonna happen it was just like it was like yeah. really we we're, we're doing this i just looked it up it was Tyrion saying no one is happy and so it's a good compromise i suppose and uh, it, it's yeah, like yeah. Th- that should be the subtitle for the eighth season of game of thrones <laughs> okay also while i'm thinking about like the people who are on the small council and that kind of stuff one thing that kind of annoyed me is that we never got any resolution to any kind of arc for Brienne. The resolution for Brienne was giving a happy ending to Jamie, both in sense of <coughs> running back to Cersei. Uh, Kenobi, you can take happy ending literally if you want. Dirty minds. Really quick, everybody give your favorite meme that you saw about what Brienne wrote in the book on Twitter. Go. Oh, oh, oh um, laid... It was like laid good pipe, but dips lit after or some <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> Christ. Vowels? I, uh, I stayed clear of Twitter until I could oh, watch it man. and until after my exam the next day. So I missed all those memes, unfortunately. There was also the obvious one with the dick butt, you know. There was yeah. a good one where it was like uh, Brienne literally updating Jamie's Wikipedia entry up here. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, anno- it annoyed me that. Brienne's ending was just giving a resolution to Jamie where he finally gets all the good stories told. He finally gets all the good stories told about him in the book and gets remembered as being a hero, and there's no actual resolution for Brienne. That annoyed me. She didn't let the ink dry, so it's probably all smudged anyways. There was a point where it felt like the show, this is probably a higher level conversation, but there was a point in probably like the end of the seventh season where it felt like the actual direction that... Benioff and Weiss were taking this once it diverged from what Martin had already written was this was going to be a show about fe- not necessarily female empowerment, but like how this realm that was run by men for so long, you're going to have these women rising up in this time of turmoil. And so like Arya, Sansa, uh, Brienne, obviously like Cersei had sort of already established it in a much more menacing way and then Danny and it felt like they were going to you had all of these uh like women champions in the show who were going to end up on top and then it felt like they just did such a disservice to 
Danny. It's like they completely flipped the script on the own direction, their the direction that they were going, and really only paid off Arya mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Like they made Sansa come off like yeah, sort of a bitch after they made her be the most intelligent, intelligent in like being able to read people, but also somehow aware along the way she apparently learned how to conduct a war and lead like a, a nation into battle, and they just completely changed her in, in the last season. Danny, there was no POV. Brienne, it, she just became this, this girl who was a virgin, finally got laid. And now all of a sudden she's just going to cry and pine over Jamie for the rest of her life. It's like they didn't, she was the greatest knight in all the kingdoms. And then, and that's the yeah. emotional, uh, beat that they went out yeah. on. It was just so undeserved, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Sansa had went through a lot through her arc that people don't really appreciate and didn't really have a payoff other than. She's smart, but she's a bitch, so people don't yeah. like her. She, she. There was some f- screwed up shit that she went through in like the first couple of seasons. I'm, o- I'm also glad you touched on Aya's ending there because I kind of, maybe not appreciate, but acknowledge just how Tolkien influenced a lot of Game of Thrones has been both the show and the yeah. books. In that, I think like Aya literally pulling a Frodo to finish her yeah, finish her arc is just a nice little. What's the word? It's a nice microcosm of just how much Tolkien has been all throughout the series. Yeah. Now she's Christopher Aria Columbus. Just <laughs> the uh, the spinoff series, Aria sails west and ends up back Don't in Essos. Imagine. Yet to be done. That's surely coming. Do you guys, I don't know if you want to talk about it, and we can just edit this out if you don't want to. Have you given any thought to like the, the spinoffs that are apparently coming? Have you heard anything about those? I don't know. I don't want to know. Yeah, I know I've heard there's four from what I, from what I heard. I think there's four of them in production. They're going to be. So that's, that's another thing to tack on to how we're going to remember Game of Thrones. We're going to remember it could have ended better. And then they ruined it even further with a bunch of terrible spinoffs. Yeah. Like if the spinoffs are good, that that's like, like that's really the important thing. The spinoffs need to, after this season that you just had, and the way the ending was, and the way everyone, not everyone, the majority of the people didn't like it, um, you're going to have to make those things be very good. Because I think you're at the point now where you've lost a lot of the goodwill, and it's not just, oh, it's Game of Thrones, we'll watch it anyway. No, you need to make it actually good. All right, well, that seems like a pretty good place to wrap it up. The only Overwatch we'll do, I guess, here is, do you guys have anything you want to plug or socials or Give a quick shout out or reminder about the upcoming uh, showdowns that are coming out. Kenobi, start with you. So I'm Kenobi. I'm I, I shill China just like my friend Val's over here. Much to Ben's <laughs> dismay. Um, you can follow me at Kenobi Casts uh, if you like Ruby fan art and just China memes. For showdown, I want to say that LG Huya is going to run through the tournament and win every game. But my heart, my Head is telling me that it's probably going to be Element Mystic versus O2 Arden in the grand finals. Um, and yeah, that's just me. Okay, we'll edit the part out about where you're still talking about Overwatch China. How about you, Vowels? <laughs> uh, my Twitter is at VowelsGG. I mostly complain, but I do occasionally have some maybe half-decent points about Overwatch. Uh, I talk a lot about contenders because I follow China. I used to cast... I used to coach na i just like watching overwatch and talking about it and sometimes i say smart things i think uh as for pacific showdown 
I feel like what Bench expects me to say here is that Haker is the best song in the world and Lingan Huya are going to have a perfect showdown and win every map. That's not what I'm going to say. Instead, I think it's going to be won by the team from Down Under, led by the sensation sweeping across the nation, Jordation. Order number one. <laughs> I agree with that last point. Traitor. I'm picking order two. And uh, Talon going to be coming in with a quick second. No, I think Element Mystic's going to take you it. You think it's Talon? I'm kidding. Talon I'm kidding. Element Mystic's going to take go. it. There's yeah. no competition. Yeah, I think it's Element Mystic. O2 Arden. Uh, LG. No, LG uh, Huyu, I think, get to the final over O2. But I think I think the best match from the entire showdown is going to be Huya versus O2. Hey. But I think it's going to be Element Mystic, LGE finals. Yeah. The best match from the Pacific showdown begins next weekend when the Atlantic showdown starts. And you can watch the true <laughs> champions of Overwatch, the EU region play. All right, guys. Uh, I mean, yeah. thanks. So. No, I'm not even letting you get in there. EU is the best. <laughs> We're going to end there. Um, sorry for uh, not talking about too much Overwatch. It just, with Overwatch League gone, it didn't feel like there was really anything worth uh, wasting anyone else's time on. Since there's so much Game of Thrones complaints going on Twitter, we thought it'd be fun to just kind of break things up and talk about something else. But now we're jumping back into, we have the Pacific showdown this weekend, we have Atlantic next weekend, and after that, we have Overwatch League Stage 3 starting back up on June 6th. So thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Mobcast. Thanks to Vowels and Kenobi for hopping on and talking Game of Thrones with me, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.